There's a little background to the uh, sermon this morning. <coughs> Last week I spoke up at Sheffield on the Sunday morning and then they had a five o'clock um, Sankey sing-song and after that I left about quarter to eight and decided to head for Hobart. So I put on a tape of this morning's sermon or what I thought was this morning's sermon. By the time I got to Deloraine... I switched it off and put on some nice music and said to myself, start again. So at 8.30 on Monday morning, I started again. The Great Task in Life wrote the English Times newspaper on the 15th of April 1983 is to find reality. And for our purpose this morning, it is to see reality. It's said that the transfiguration story is a composite of the whole gospel tradition. We hear echoes of the baptism of Jesus, of Jesus' predictions of his death, of Jesus' fulfilment of the laws and the prophets, of the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension and his future coming. The voice itself from the cloud under... Uh, uh, serves to underscore the importance of what was happening in the ministry of Jesus. And we also have Moses and Elijah. And since it's wise to seek the meaning of this event more than to guess the manner of it, that's what we will do. With the disciples there on the mountain, the eternal dimension, that is, reality, broke through and they saw who Jesus really was. The transfiguration follows the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi, where he came out with the declaration that Jesus was the Messiah of God, the fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecy, the heir of the Old Testament promise, and the realisation of the Old Testament hope. There Jesus was dealing with one question. Does anybody recognise me for whom I am. And Peter's triumphant answer, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what Jesus wanted to hear. But there were strings attached, for the Son of Man must first suffer and die. The disciples must be ready to share in his divinely appointed destiny and his suffering and persecution and theirs must be seen against the background of the ultimate and eternal glory. The transfiguration was the heavenly ratification of this new teaching that he had given at Caesarea Philippi. It was a seal of God's approval on Jesus' interpretation of his messianic calling. And there on the mountain, they saw a change come over Jesus. He broke through the limitations of his humanity. The veil that lay across, uh, over him was taken away and he was revealed as the heavenly son of man. His future dignity for a moment was revealed. Jesus temporarily exchanges the normal human form that he bore for the glorious form that he was believed to possess after his exaltation to heaven. The form of God shone through, through from the form of the servant. The appearance of his face became another, as did the shine of the sun. 
His clothes became white as light and they saw two, two men, Moses and Elijah. And that figure of speech in Psalm 2, which we occasionally hear, you are my son, today I have begotten you, became a literal historical reality in Jesus. It was a, a betrayal of his mysterious uniqueness, a confirmation of his dignity. The line in Psalm 2 is used seven times in the New Testament and uh, with the three accounts of the transfiguration, it, uh, that line is used in each one of them. What we see in this incident is somehow Jesus is more than a man and he does for what us what only God can do. We don't know how to put it into words for there's no category of men that, into which he fits. But while there's something about him that makes us want to say, my Lord and by God, there is more than that, and so it is today. And the specialness of Jesus is something that comes to us as we worship God in his name. And so see that the words of Jesus, the Father and I are one, are true. I've already mentioned that at Caesarea Philippi, they heard the public of the public rejection and the crucifixion. And that would have been a crushing disappointment. They must have been hurt and rather bewildered at the assistance of Jesus that he must go up to Jerusalem to be humiliated, to be treated like a, a criminal, to suffer and to be crucified and to die. To be crucified. How could the Jesus be God's anointed and yet be crucified how could he be the Messiah and be crucified? Peter must have brooded on this and Peter obviously got it wrong in the end back there before Caesarea Philippi. But the transfiguration was Peter's solution to his problem. And surely out of this event they would see that the cross was not all humiliation but somehow tinged in glory. The transfiguration taught all three, that the suffering of the Messiah did not mean that the glory of the kingdom would be lost, but that the glory was not on earth, but on heaven. As mentioned, the incident speaks of Moses and Elijah. Now, we all know about Moses. He was the great liberator who went to, to Pharaoh and asked that the slaves, the Israelites, should get liberty. And in the end, they were free and Moses' God became um, a liberating God. Moses revealed himself as the great shepherd, a leader, a servant who was prepared to die for his people if he could only get them to the promised land, a land he would never see. And there was a glory about Moses. In mentioning Moses, the, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew uh, would have been reminded of Moses' own transfiguration on the mountains of Mount Sinai with its six days, its high mountain, its apartness, its cloud and its voice. And then we get a mention of Elijah, the first of the great prophets. The prophets read the signs of their own time. The prophet risks his life so that the people could keep the law and um, as against uh, some other tyranny. 
It's as if the story of the transfiguration is saying, Moses and Elijah represent the great liberators of old, but Jesus will now take up that role. The disciples recognised the power of God the Father transforming the, the humanity of Jesus and drawing together the threads of biblical prophets, the covenant with Moses and the, in the past and the eschatological future represented by Elijah. And there on the mountain, the disciples um, began to glimpse here in Jesus was the love and the glory of God and the, the living fulfilment of Moses and Elijah. Their greatness belonged to an old order, but it was giving way to a new order and a more adequate revelation of God's character and purpose. Now this transfiguration incident in the, in the gospel is of great importance. It's one of those disclosure events when the relation of Jesus to God is revealed, which means that although the, the Messiah was rejected by uh, the people, he was not rejected by God. He was the divine son on whom the father declared himself to be well pleased. And together with the confession at Caesarea Philippi, the transfiguration emphasises that the essence of Jesus' identity and work cannot be uh, separated from the cross and the resurrection. It's only in their light do we understand the, the character of God and the significance of Jesus. The second point I want to make is that we all need to be willing to go with Jesus to the top of the mountain. And this is the implication of the story for us after seeing who Jesus really is. The answer is that at times we, like Peter, James and John, need to hear Jesus' invitation to us to come up with, to him to the, to the mountaintop, that we will see his glory, and uh, this is important, and re remember that the same God who is transfiguring Jesus is in the, the process of transforming us and our world. God's work of transforming us and our world is going on right now. We mightn't um, note that because it might be taking too long for us. We need to do more than make a mental note of it or hang a plaque on the wall to remember it, as uh, Peter tried to do when he built three booths. It's our place to participate in this transforming work of God. The tragedy is that we become too impatient with the slow process uh, through which the transforming is taking place and therefore we fail to be part of it. And yet, um, our change, in our changing world, God is still at work in communities, in schools, in our families and in our businesses. And we, see, we can look back in history and see it uh, in the life of uh, Martin Luther King. Um, as uh, an unfolding of God's purposes for our world. For that reason, we need to acknowledge the contribution of dedicated people um, who work for the, uh, the public good uh, uh, against their own personal gain. Now, the third point I want to make is that we shouldn't try to erect our own structures. 
Poor Peter didn't know how to respond there on the mountain. It was all too mysterious and too inexplicable. And so he came out with his feeble suggestion. Lord, why don't we construct three booths? One for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And now the idea of building a booth or a tabernacle comes from the early story of the wilderness, a journey of the Israelites where God revealed himself um, to the people of Israel and they built a tabernacle uh, as a shrine to the divine glory that they had witnessed. And so Peter wants to build three shrines or three tabernacles uh, because here we have God's manifestation. When we experience a high moment, we can do two things. We can either live in that high moment or, or we can live out from that high moment. When we live in them like Peter, we will want to wear, uh, erect structures. We will hold the image, be transfixed by its beauty, try to control that high moment and make it permanent. And that's what Peter's talk is all about. On the other hand, when we live in a high moment or experience a high moment, we can live out of it. We can refuse to erect structures. We won't, we, we won't be enslaved. We move on to the next moment because of the hope that came out of the first. We erect, when we erect structures, we say things like this. This is our tradition. This is what we believe. This is who we are. This is the way that it's always been done. And then at such times, we are in the danger of locking ourselves into ideas and patterns that belong to the past, when there was shining moments, but are now outmoded and irrelevant. And so we miss the potential of the future. More personally, we can say, I've been converted. I've been baptised. But these two are in the past. They mark like milestones, great moments when God has confronted us. And while they are milestones, we must not allow them to become tombstones, as it were. That is, we fail um, when we let them uh, mark our past and we don't, uh, don't, aim, don't expect a future. They can become our end. And people who have a, a, a religious experience, who have a religious past, must aspire to be fresh springs, as it were, with water gushing forth as a fountain. Peter vainly tried to hold on to the moment, to capture it, to, to solidify it, but life isn't like that at all. What they experienced on the mountain had to be played out. For them, there was still a road to be travelled. There was still dust to be gathered. There was still a betrayal. There was still an arrest and a humiliation. There was still a cross and a tomb and there were before them abandoned gravestone, uh, grave clothes. Just think what would have happened if Peter had built three um, tabernacles there on the mountain. They might still be there. We can, might still be able to go and see them. But the trouble is Jesus had moved on. And uh, these tabernacles would be but um, long-standing memorials to something that happened 
um, well, well back. I uh, was playing around on the web this morning, as we all do, following Blip and following some of the messages that came up. And, and one of them caught my eye. Um, it's uh, t- to do with this, and I think I've, I've got the note somewhere and I think I've lost it. Um, it's talking about Star Wars. And it's saying how, it was saying how that um, a number of our films um, use so-called biblical quotes to... Um, to, to, to to, um, as biblical quotes. And there was one in Star Wars which was quite interesting, if I can remember it. Um, the idea was that the future doesn't lie here, but lies ahead. And that's a, a truth for us um, as we think about this whole business of building structures. There's one final point. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. These uh, words take us back to Deuteronomy and take us back to Moses. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet in the midst of you from your brethren. Like to me, to him you shall listen. Now Jesus now now bears the the authority that will replace Moses. The voice from heaven tells them that they must listen. They must hear him. They must hear from him about his secret sonships. They must walk the road of obedience, though never alone as Jesus was walking alone. But the, confront, the question confronts us today, how do we live our lives as, um, in the light of this event of the, um, the transfiguration? What does this event mean for the life of the world? And because we, as people of faith this morning, have inquired into the deeper meaning of the transfiguration incident, we are well placed to understand what God is trying to say through it. Namely, that Jesus is the beloved son. And the problem is that we can easily make that affirmation. Jesus is the beloved son. Without pausing to ask what are... What's its implication for for our actions? And that's the problem Peter seemed to be confronting. How much can it be said that Jesus, the Lord of history, stands behind all that is happening in this place in Mornington and at Lena Valley in what we seek to do? How much can it be said that the decisions we make as God's people are the decisions of God himself? It's his church after all. And what of our own lives? How much can it be said that the big questions we make as individuals are the decisions of God himself? We need to unstop our ears and hear the voice that declares, this is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. And may it be now, and may it be as we continue on, be the case For Jesus is reality. Let's pray. God of light, as we meet even now and glimpse new meaning in old stories and familiar tales, turn the expected into the unexpected. Let us see Jesus as your beloved son, filled with your favour. Give us the grace to listen to him, to hear his voice, 
and to know that his words are true. And Lord, be in the process of transforming us. Amen.